I would play a lot more piano than the other accompanists. And I thought it was really, really funny. My roommate and I would talk about it. And they were like, man, they they like having you, Dan, because you play piano like a percussionist. Like, that's that's my joke. When I when I got home and I lost my instrument, I kind of had to realize, I was like, wait a second, the marimba, the timpani, those aren't, are those my instruments? Because if those are my instruments, then I what have I been doing my whole life? Really, those are just pieces. Those are just things that amplify my voice. This is The Labyrinth and the Thread, conversations about creativity and mental health for, by, and with people who love to create things and have experience navigating mental health. I'm Amelia Aldred, and I'm glad you're listening. Welcome to the season two finale of The Labyrinth and the Thread. Today, I'm speaking with members of Sound Mind Musician, a Chicago-based organization seeking to end the stigma surrounding mental health in the classical music world. Alex, Dan, Kevin, and Mario are all part of the Sound Mind Musician team and host the Sound Mind Musician podcast. So to get started, could you talk a little bit about the origin of Sound Mind Musician? How did this idea come about? Yeah, so we started in October 2019 um, through the Civic Orchestra of Chicago. Um, We're charged with these independent projects where we can apply for funding within the organization. And me and our two other co-founders were literally sitting around a coffee table and talking about mental health. And we were thinking like, yeah, let's do something with mental health. So initially, we assembled this panel of amazing musicians and mental health advocates, and they were going to speak at a live event. We were going to premiere a piece of music, and then the pandemic happened, so that event was canceled. Uh, So we took things virtual and uh, started doing podcast interviews, and that turned into a full-blown podcast and a blog, and then we ended up having monthly events, and here we are, you know, over a year later, and we've really grown into something, I think, really awesome. That's really wonderful, and it's it's really great to see how you are able to pivot and change. I know pivot is an overused word. So like the writer in me is hearing that and going, no, don't say it. Um, <laughs> but, but for like a better one that when things change, circumstances change, that you are able to find other ways to connect with people. Uh, I think it's something with mental health that there are so many different ways that people come into that space and come into that conversation that having podcasts, having in-person events, or more as things open up, is, is just really important to be able to do. So you're saying that with the podcast, with all of the things that you're doing over this past year, that you've really grown. And I'm really curious to hear what are some of the things you've learned over this past year doing this work? We've been developing these workshops, right, to give it the National uh, Orchestral Institute, their summer festival. Uh, and these three workshops have been kind of in the works uh, for a while. Um the first phase of the workshop and please, you know, correct me if I'm wrong here. Um, you know, the first phase being like evaluating the current environment. Um, and this, this, this workshop is geared more specifically towards the classical, like the performing classical musician, the young performing classical musician. Um, so the first, uh, phase of the workshop is kind of defined as a as a, an evaluating the current environment situation, seeing the forces that are going on around us, the pressures maybe that we don't realize at first, um, and having discussions about those uh, and, and and identifying them and seeing what they look like, kind of uh, unshrouding them. The second phase of the workshop and a discussion that we like uh, we have many 
times at our coffee table events is our concept of holding space. Um, and uh, we just, I mean, there's a great podcast in our archive you can listen to um, about holding space, but that's the second phase of the workshop. And the third phase of the workshop, the last one that we kind of, uh, we've, we've, or most recently came out of development, you could say, uh, is we're calling redefining success, reframing failure and identity. Um, and uh, yeah, just, I don't know. It's great. I think just for me, the exciting part is being able to discuss these topics, like working, working out these workshops with these brilliant minds, you know, with my colleagues and uh, developing something powerful, something profound and getting ready to share it, you know? Yeah. And to just jump in, I think like through the, the things that we have done between this workshop and through um, one of our, our, our like, monthly events called coffee tables. I think what is really nice to have learned about the classical music community in general is that we're not alone. It's funny because like when you're in school, you're stuck in a you're stuck in a practice room by yourself all the time. Um, and it's it's really interesting to I mean while you see a lot of us on stage um, performing concerts and all that, like it's really interesting to see that we all kind of have a similar experience and we don't really often talk about it very publicly. I think all of us as musicians can, can agree with yeah, that. Yeah, definitely. As Dan mentioned, one of the topics that Sound Mind Musician is helping people explore in workshops is how to reframe and redefine concepts like success and failure and what it means to practice your craft. All of the team have stories to share about their own journey to figure out what those ideas mean to them. Uh, I've, over the years, had some issues with playing injuries and things which will forcibly limit the amount of time I can play. And that's very frustrating at first because you kind of have your routine and you can't do it because of something that's out of your control. And I also noticed that at times when I can't practice as much, my playing doesn't get worse and sometimes it gets better. And it's kind of led me to realize that I don't have, well, I'm working on developing a better sense of what actual hard work is. And hard work is not necessarily like, well, I'm not putting as, as many hours, so I'm not working as hard. It, it doesn't have to be that. And it, I mean, having that kind of forced space was not ideal, but maybe was helpful for trying to just trust in what I've already done and the kinds of things that, you know, I've already practiced this before. Maybe I don't need to spend an extra hour doing that today because I, I, I'm, I'm good at that now. Pretty good at that. I can, I can trust these things and, and maybe working hard can, can be done without just practicing my instrument. That's such an important insight, Mario. Thank you for sharing that because when you talk about redefining hard work and so I was raised by freelance musicians. My parents were with freelance oh, musicians. Hey. Um, and so I, I joke like all, for example, um, all of my formal clothing is black. Um, I always think of, like when I buy a dress, I'm like, okay, how would this tour though? Yeah. Like, yeah. Wrinkle in a suitcase, you know, like that's. I still have that you know, problem. So yeah. Yeah. So, so, but one of the things for freelance creatives that there is so much economic pressure also 
for the idea of hard work and the competition and all these other things that you're talking about. And it's a real challenge to try to define for yourself what does it mean to work hard? What does it mean to be successful? What is it that I need from my work? When you start off, especially, you get a lot of narratives about what it is. You know, we're handed a lot of narratives about what that is mm -hmm. and a lot of fears and a lot of rules about, you know, in order to do this, you must do X or Y or Z, you know, and that there's no way to be successful how are we going to find that unless you do X or Y or Z? And so the stakes are really high, right? And so I'd love to hear from you of what are some of the reframings and redefinitions that you've done, either individually or as a group, that you have found helpful or even doesn't have to be helpful. It's just something new you've tried. So many things. So we're all so <laughs> we're, we're all nodding very emphatically for people listening yeah, to this. We're, we're all laughing, all laughing right this now. Is just so um, relatable. Can I jump in? Is that okay, guys? Yeah, I'm trying to figure out when we're all going to interrupt each other. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so this is part of our last workshop, but also you know we're all um like 20 something musician 20 something year old musicians and we're all out of school and we're all in this very awkward time in our careers right now which is like out of school but don't have like an orchestra job yet which by the way is that thing that a lot of people say you have to have as a musician in order to be in order to be successful you have to get a big job in a big orchestra getting paid six figures right and i think i mean we'll all i think i can speak for all of us when we when we say like that's not the only way to be a successful musician and I think we're all learning that um because you know I'm I was like okay well I can only be a professional musician if I'm getting paid to play in an orchestra I said that for so long and I was like wait a second no I'm paying my rent I can still do fun things and I'm getting paid to play my instrument like that's a successful musician right there um and we talked with when it comes to economic um pressure especially you know Kevin and I both have full-time jobs um, his is in music. Mine is not mine is in mental health. And, you know, you know, sometimes you just want health insurance and sometimes, sometimes you want a steady paycheck. And I think we have to tell ourselves that that is a hundred percent okay to want those things. And that doesn't make us any less of a successful musician for wanting those things. Um, which is very hard. And we, mm -hmm. I mean, I say that, but I have to convince myself of that all the time too. And, and that's why I'm so excited to give the third part of this workshop uh, at NOI, redefining success, reframing failure. I mean, I, I watched so many kids, n dear friends, not kids. I watched so many dear, dear, dear friends have a great, who I spent, I have special memories of with an undergrad, graduate and realize that thing, that je ne sais quoi, whatever with their instrument, that music, that the spark maybe had dwindled and they were force feeding it for years and this and that. And I watched them as they got jobs in like arts administrations. And I'm talking these people, I'm thinking of one person in particular who's working in the education department for Carnegie hall. Okay. This is not, you know, in terms of people that gave up on the dream. Okay. This person, in my opinion, is exactly where she needed to be. I mean, this is the work that she, but, but, but I had to watch her a year after school, like 
shake her head at the ground and say all of the regrets of the last four years and the, and the hundred thousand or whatever it is, you know? And I'm like, no, no, that's not it. You don't understand the lessons you've learned in the past four years, the experiences you've had as a musician or honestly as whatever, but you've, you've, you've cultivated something in yourself uh, and to just, and to try to like, discount that to try to to try to suppress that is it like makes me cry on the inside you know that's why i'm really excited to talk about reframing failure i'm like you played your violin for 16 years straight you know you made it to the top of the list da, 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 da. you did all of those things and you want to put it down today put it down today that's what you want to do guess what pick it back up in 10 years if you feel like it um but like, don't, don't for a, don't for a moment think that because you put that violin down, you are less of a person. So sound mind is all about um, ending the stigma around mental health in classical music. And one of the big things that we're really hitting on is the fact that there's a stigma around what success is and looks in the classical music world and how that affects people. Um, People in our community, artists in general, if you are doing something that is paying your bills and supporting yourself in some way, it is seen as selling out. And that is false. It is not selling out. If you are still doing what you are doing um, to get by and performing and doing all of those things, that should be lauded. That should be celebrated. You are still pursuing what you want to pursue. If you look at music and you're like, I don't know if I'm as passionate about this anymore, and you decide to put down the violin, put down the violin it is fine you still have so much talent in that and the thing is is like what people don't see is the music specifically is such a hard skill it is a, it like a like there's the whole idea of hard skills and soft skills music specifically is such a hard skill and it's such a visible and auditory skill nobody ever realizes the sort of soft skills that comes from from becoming a musician or being an artist in general and what that sort of thing does for your mind and how that allows you to thrive in different ways. And I think so many of us discount that sort of stick to that we gain from music. And it's just so it's, it allows us to be even more successful. Um, I, one, one little anecdote, there was a moment where this whole redefining success uh, topic came to play in a, in a, a, a group discussion we were having. And I just remember sitting there with uh, several other musicians who were just like, I'm kind of afraid to say this, but I'm starting a business for this. I'm starting a postcard business. And it's like, wait, you started a business and you've incorporated and all those things and you're afraid to say it. Why? Like part of it is like, you were so passionate about this. That's amazing. You have the intelligence to do that. Like, like, and someone was like, yeah. And I'm like, bagging groceries. Great. You're making money and getting by. Like, that's huge. That's so huge. And like, it's just, I, I, it's so we're in the practice of of putting people down, uh, in in the classical music world because of the competitiveness and because of like how much we want to excel and really, we wish we just need to lift each other up more and more because success looks different for everyone. I really love the way that you're talking about this and hearing how you're supporting each other in this and really pushing back against a narrative that's harmful 
and I don't think is serving us. One of the things I really like, I want to pick up on on a couple of different things that were said. Um, one of them is thinking about all the different skills that you learn with an art form, and then the fear about changing what you're doing. It's. I was having a conversation with a friend recently, and we were talking about how afraid we were to not work on what we thought of as our primary craft, you know, mm -hmm. and the guilt around that. And so there's the, all right, if I'm not working on the short story, if I'm not working on the novel, if I'm not painting the painting that I'm mm. working on or whatever it is, that's, that's bad, you know? And the idea that just be, because you're switching crafts or you're switching, you know, what specific way you're being creative that you're doing, it doesn't mean you failed. What a, what a limited definition. I usually don't sh share a ton of stories on this just because I want to give people a chance to talk, but you're inspiring me. And yeah, please, please go for it. Something I tell people when they ask me, like, you really like to tell stories uh, and you like interviewing people and, you know, you just, I'm obsessed with narrative and I'm obsessed with stories. I always have been. But I learned to tell stories from musicians. Ooh, love that. The way I learned how to structure a story was from listening to musicians who were performing on stage and would have to tune their instrument on stage. You often will tell a story while you're doing that. And you have to be able to shape it. You have to be able to entertain while you're doing it as a performer. Watching how they put that together and that the, the way that they made their voice musical, the way that they drew people in and held people's attention, that's how I learned to tell stories. And it's something that I value so much and that people don't necessarily think about musician, that, that musicians are storytellers as well. And if someone was to switch, and I've known people who switch from, say, primarily composing music to primarily writing narrative, um, it's not a failure, just growth and changing an extension of what they love to do. I, when I was first offered my full-time job at, um, in, in fundraising, I, I kind of felt this sort of shame because I was like, oh man, like, I, I, I feel like I'm leaving this. And that is not at all the case. I'm still playing. I'm still practicing. And like, I'm going to totally like put Alex uh, on a, a pedestal right now because she did a similar thing to me, th th like me this, this past year, like the music world is looking a little, a little scary for a second and she she was like <laughs> a little <laughs> she was like i think it, i think i need a full-time job this girl got a full-time job was still playing like flute very actively throughout the year and and where are you going now alex what, what did you audition <laughs> oh for God. and yes, where are you going i'm going to the new world symphony in the fall which is in miami florida and i will be joining as a fellow and what is that for people that don't know what this, this New World Symphony is? <laughs> New World Symphony is a training orchestra uh, in Miami. It's one of the best training orchestras I think that exists, honestly, um, led by Michael Tilson Thomas. Uh, it's mm. a three-year fellowship program. You play orchestra full-time and you get paid to do it. Um, it's good stuff. Yeah. I mean, you were talking about um, taking time away from your main craft. Um, I, to be honest, barely have played flute since the pandemic started um, comparative to what I was doing right before the pandemic hit. And I just like, because I, well, one, it was very depressing. And then I started a full-time job and I was still playing with a training orchestra. And I was like, I just don't have time. I don't have time. I'm exhausted. Um, and I was only playing for things that absolutely I like had to for a job. Um, and I, was like, I don't want to do this audition again for this orchestra because I had auditioned four times before. And I was just like, I don't want to do this. I'm busy. I'm exhausted. Like I'm, I'm, I'm so tired. And I kind of just said, screw it. Um, and did it with the time that I had. 
Um, I was like, I'm just going to do it. Whatever. I've taken time away. And it was so funny because the person auditioning me said at the end, they were like, it's clear. It's clear you've kept up with your playing during the pandemic. And I literally thought like, dude, jokes on you. Like, absolutely not. But I think I think the time away, you know, was a good thing. Ultimately, you know, I think I had to I had to leave in order. I think I got to a place where I felt like I no longer needed to go there. You know, I started saying to myself, I have a full time job. I'll be financially okay without this. I'll be musically fulfilled in Chicago. And I think getting to that place for musicians is really hard to feel like you have like a steady ground underneath you. When you think about having a steady ground under yourself creatively, what does that look like? For a lot of people, that looks like routine or knowledge or community. And when a crisis hits that shakes up any of those parts of your life, it forces you to reshape your own foundation, which can feel like building a ladder while you're standing on it. For most people, 2020 and 2021 was a year marked by crisis, and Alex, Dan, Kevin, and Mario and I talked about what we've taken from our experience. So when the COVID-19 pandemic happened, uh, I was in my final semester in my master's degree in music performance at Rutgers University, studying the discipline of percussion, which is phenomenal. Rutgers had a lot of great equipment, facilities, lots of beautiful instruments for me um, to use. And I was very privileged to go there. Um, The COVID-19 pandemic happened and I went back to Massachusetts to visit my family. That was the plan, but then I just didn't return to New Jersey. Things were getting really bad. So, uh, but what this meant was a lot of the reasons why I subscribed to the institution was because the institution housed all of the equipment. They had all of my instruments. I don't own timpani. I don't own a marimba, uh, just like I don't own a grand piano. Uh, like I, I, I have this electric piano, um, but all of those big percussion instruments, chimes, crash cymbals, all of those big extra things, that th- those are all resources that I would, I would, I've been borrowing from school my whole life. So, um, you know, not only did I, I, I lost uh, my my courses. But I also lost all of the instruments that I was playing on for the past year and a half. I was playing on like these marimbas and these vibraphones and timpani. And then all of a sudden I couldn't go in the building anymore. Um, so it's interesting because my, my instrument was taken away from me as well. Uh, but I got back to Massachusetts. And first of all, it was nice for spring break. I mean, master's it's, your master's degree is crazy. So I got back and I didn't want to see the marimba. And I was okay with it for a minute. But we have, we've had a baby grand piano in my living room for as long as I can remember. It's a family heirloom. And so I just started playing it every day. Scales. Da-da-da. Well, the quarantine lasted a while. So I was playing scales every day for a while. Uh, and I maybe like got a little bit of facility on the piano. <clears throat> and when I came back to New Jersey, Rutgers Dance Department hired me to accompany music for their classes remotely like this through my home studio. And they were requesting me and putting me in these certain classes Um like uh, exercise certain, I don't know who was requesting me, but because of, I would, I would play a lot more piano than the other accompanists. And I thought it was really, really funny. My roommate and I would talk about it and they were like, man, they, they like having you Dan because you play piano, like a percussionist. Like that's, that's my joke. When I, when I got home and I lost my instrument, I brought myself, I kind of had to realize, I was like, wait a second, the marimba, the timpani, those aren't, are those my instruments? Like, 
Because if those are my instruments, then I what have I been doing my whole life? Really, those are just pieces. Those are just things that amplify my voice. My instrument is here, you know, and that's what I learned in COVID. I came back. My instrument can go anywhere with me. I just put it behind the piano one day, you know. And that's kind of how I like to look at change. Yeah. I actually, this isn't the same as not having percussion exactly, but I was in a master's program and then was visiting family during spring break and then got stranded. Uh, I was in California and, and all my things were in Florida, including my cello. And I rented a cello while I was in California because I didn't feel like flying with with one um, for various reasons. And then suddenly I was stuck with this super beginner level cello. And normally that would be frustrating, but then it's actually kind of nice to have like a worse instrument and worse instruments make certain things harder. And they also kind of simplify the process because there aren't as many options for how good you can sound. <laughs> and I found it kind of nice to just play and, and not be worried about things, things relating to my instrument. But at the same time, I still don't actually have my cello. It's, it's with my uncle in Florida and it's been kind of bizarre <laughs> because, uh, that, that was like a part of me and, and now it's not, but, uh, I guess there's a similar sort of like redefining my identity with like, am I a cellist? Is that just where, where it stops? That's what I am. That's the full description. I think we have actually a topic about this in one of the workshops where it's like how a few words to identify yourself. And also, so let's say I haven't, I haven't played the cello in about a month right now and I'm still a cellist, right? I don't, I don't question that. I, I, I would still start with identifying myself as a cellist, but I trying other things. I mean, I started composing for the first time ever because I could, and it's like, oh, yeah, I, I, I guess I'm a composer now, even though that feels very bizarre because I haven't spent thousands of hours <laughs> composing and I have with the cello, and yet that can still be part of me. I am still in this time of reflection of like, what do I want to take with me in, from, from the past year into this new new world because that's this new normal because let's be honest i think a lot of us when we were thinking about covid in general i think a lot of us realized that the current normal that we had back then was not working um in several ways and so as i think about it now and i think about like what's this new normal going to look like for me i think for me personally i think i i have found a new appreciation for my instrument again. And I, I don't want to lose that. I think I got so stuck in like, God, I can't play. I'm going to say the exact things that we're saying going in my head. I can't play my high A's in tune. They're always flat. Why can't I do this? And the finally the moment when I let it go and I just let it happen, it works out beautifully. You know, it's like, and so I just, I, I, I just want to find my voice. I think that was the thing that I, I, I ended up doing over this past year and I'm still looking I'm still very much looking everyone so like do not expect to listen to me and be like oh yeah Kevin he's got a voice maybe I already have found my voice and I just I still have to realize it is a thing I just want to find that and I think that's where how I'm moving forward personally 
before we come to a close, are there any projects you would like to plug the listeners? Sure. Um, first of all, again, thank you so much, Amelia, for having us. We're, we're so excited. And for those of you that want to listen to more of us as musicians talk about mental health and all that, subscribe to our podcast, Sound Mind. Um, it's super, super great. We have lots of great things planned for, for the summer. Um, and then in addition, we're a growing, a very small, we're establishing ourselves right now as a nonprofit and um, fundraising is really important to us. So if you have a dollar or $5 or $10, any amount is transformative to help us change the stigma against mental health in classical music. Um, and so if you, you find yourself inspired to give, uh, just visit soundmindmusician.org slash donate and well, thank you so copiously. Our, our, our donor base is small. So a personal call from me or a personal letter, yes. expect that you'll get lots yes. of gifts. Yeah, <laughs> Handwritten yeah. notes, not... everyone. But sure, we might even play you a melody. <laughs> exactly. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to support us, consider joining our Patreon at patreon.com slash labthreadpodcast. If you're not in a position to financially support us, you can help out by spreading the word and following us on social media. Stories, concerns, and manifestos can all be emailed to labthreadpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. Remember to take care of yourselves and each other. And until next time, from Chicago, Illinois, this is The Labyrinth and the Thread. Thank you.